Well, welcome to the First Church Podcast. I am here with uh, my friend and pretty much who has been the co-host uh, through all of this, Brendan Glass. Just a reminder, we are discussing Jesus and the Disinherited, um, having fun, uh, just thinking about what this book means for us today and uh, how to apply it. And I really enjoyed um, my conversations I've been having with Brendan. And uh, so today we talk about hate. I'm sure this won't be helpful for anyone. Uh, I'm sure nobody, yeah, yeah, I'm sure nobody has uh, hated anyone in their life before. Um, and uh, so we're gonna jump in to hear what Thurman has to say about hate for those uh, who have their backs up against the wall, or, or, or um, uh, yeah, feel like um, they have uh, been harmed, hurt, oppressed, whatever that might be. How to deal with the hate that ends up. Uh, uh, in our hearts and in our minds uh, and what we should do with that and what it actually does to us. And so, Brendan, man, I'm just going to start with you. I'm just going to let you start us off. Tell us everybody who you hate right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So just what stuck out to you, man, as we talk about hate uh, so, here? This is, once again, I say it every week, but the mind of Howard Thurman and how he expresses uh, his views and, you know, he, he's one of those individuals where I believe it is, it is a shame that he's not considered a general, like, in our time, one of the greatest philosophers mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we've seen in the last 100 years. Now, granted, that, you know, because of the, the, the rush of information and so many people have an opportunity to share their views and express themselves... You know, it's easy for Howard Thurman to kind of get lost in the influx of so many voices in the last hundred years, especially with the rise of things such as podcasts and, you know, modern technology, giving everybody a voice. But this guy is a guy, man. He's an unsung hero behind the civil rights movement. And when he begins to talk about hate, um, you, you can tell he's he's what he's doing is he's taking it and putting it, the idea of hate on the on the you know kind of on the surgery table and he's really opening it up and dissecting it and he's showing us how not how not just how nasty it is but how nasty it makes us Mm. as individuals as society and as a world um and he actually makes it you know because you know if you're thinking okay a civil rights leader uh a pastor is going to talk about hate you know Especially when you think about this from a civil rights perspective, you're thinking, okay, cool, he's going to talk about how, you know, uh, those in power hate those who are disadvantaged or those who have their back up against the wall. Mm-hmm. But he actually flips it. You yeah. Know, or those, or if you are disadvantaged, you should hate those in power right, exactly, back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he flips it. Like he flips yeah. it and saying like you should hate it back, and the I, and it almost is a sanctified hate because mm-hmm. you are responding to the uh, the injustices that are being carried out against you. And that's the stuff that's like, wow, that's the stuff that really can be applied now, especially when we begin to talk about all the division in our country. Um, we can really discuss how, you know, there's this form of justified hate, you know what I mean? Because you've oppressed me, mm-hmm. I am justified. He gives a yeah. situation uh, where he talks about how he was on a train and the two girls, or two black girls were sitting behind yeah. him. And he's looking out, and they were looking out the window, looking at two girls playing out, some girls playing outside. Mm-hmm. And the two black girls were like, "It would be great if they just fell and bashed both their heads." And they both, yeah. you know, and, and he was a, appalled, like, you know, what, what conditions are you living in mm-hmm. that you don't see those human beings? Like yeah, you see their whiteness that you hate. Yeah, and yeah, it was it it really uh it really opened me up. It opened my eyes up. Yeah, you know, uh, reading it again um, to say, man, this is this is something that the church needs to do a better job articulating it from a position that's more universal, mm-hmm. not so specific. You know, we are talking about we well, don't hate. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't hate. Okay, uh-huh. cool. I cannot hate. All yeah, right, sweet. Until it's convenient for Until me. Until it's convenient, and you know, our our perspective of hate is just so narrow. You know, so we think of hate crimes and we think that's what hate is. Mm -hmm. You know, we think of, um, you know, we think of, you know, someone who did us dirty. 
Mm-hmm. You know, someone who did wrong us and say, yeah, there was a time or I couldn't stand that person. We won't say the word hate, okay. but I've forgiven them now and all this other stuff. And, and we just kind of just limit it to those little micro instances where there's this macro problem of hate in the world that the church does not do a good job addressing in the way that Jesus addressed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, he did a great job with it once again. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing that, that I love about Thurman as you read through all of this he addresses all these issues that are very human, no matter who you are mm-hmm. uh, or what you've been through. And he talks about why these are not good for you and how Jesus addresses them and how Jesus in his own time would have actually been speaking mm-hmm. to people who are just like us, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like you, just like me, mm-hmm. who deal with these issues and respond to them either with fear, deception, mm-hmm. now hate. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he talks about hate basically being a survival technique, yeah. right? Um, that, people use uh, to kind of get back at people and whom I think in general and society to a certain extent we justify hating for mm-hmm. whatever they've done to yeah. us and there are people who have done really evil and awful things to to people as individuals or groups or whatever and so there seems to be times where hate seems like it would be justified right. and yet Thurman is just like he's not going to allow people to to live there right, right. because he sees hate as Jesus sees hate, mm-hmm. as destructive, yeah. destructive to the individual and destructive to society, mm-hmm. uh, and so and he he's able to do this dance, and I think like you say like when you read him like philosophically, spiritually, socially, you read this guy and it's it's one of those things where you're like, why are more people not reading this? <laughs> right. Seriously. Yeah. Like, why, yeah. why are why are more people not reading Thurman? And because this, this is a really short, simple book. I mean, this yeah. book is less than a hundred pages long. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I have all three of his books, and they're all like this. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it uh-huh. is. I mean, and this is a whole different conversation, but uh-huh. it kind of does tie into hate. The, you know, black. This would probably be in the category of black liberation theology, mm-hmm. which has been generally dismissed. Okay. Um, generally dismissed, mm-hmm. and uh, those individuals who, um, those individuals who were kind of the teachers and the uh, promoters of Black liberation theology, they are not given the same level of professional respect. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about Black liberation theology, you know, a lot of us think of uh, Jeremiah Wright. You know, yeah. a few years ago, uh-huh. um, and you know his vehement, oh my God, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah. people think that Black liberation theology is just a form of christianized black power and you know to be honest like even me like that's my yeah that's that's my impulse is like well it actually like when you say that it's a form of almost to not to a certain extent like it depends right on the context and so forth almost a perpetuation of group hate right like all right you have done us wrong now it's time for us to hate you back so that we can be liberated from the wrong or oppression has been done to us like there's there's that, that there is an impulse yeah. a little bit when you yeah and which is that's not what Thurman is talking about and that's not what Black Liberation Theology yeah. is yeah. like what what Thur- yeah. this right here yeah it would be if there was a course that I was called to teach on Black Liberation Theology this would be a textbook in it yeah. because this okay. is what Black Liberation Theology looks like and it's mm-hmm. not just because Liberation Theology is you know a you know, that's a recognized field, even though, you know, kind of dismissed a lot. Mm -hmm. And all liberation theology says is, let's look at what benefit the words and the ministry of Jesus would have to those who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. Let's look at it from that perspective. Let's look at it from that angle, you know, as opposed to only looking at jesus from the perspective of those in power mm-hmm. and when we look at it differently then we come to these conclusions that G- that um thurman is coming to like wow mm-hmm. um there are jesus is ministering to those with their backs up against the wall mm-hmm. so yeah. how can we use that ministry to bring liberation to those who have their backs up against the wall and it's just rejected because um it seems like it's too uh, it, it's too um, uh, subjective. Yeah, I you know I think that is probably one reason it's rejected. And you know I I I'm not an expert in any of this when it comes to black liberation theology in general. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe there's the impulse of like 
thinking about uh, often this deals like so Thurman deals with almost the personal, spiritual, mm-hmm. psychological uh, aspects of it of the individual, mm-hmm. uh, not just of the group, right. uh, which seems to be a, a little different sometimes than where like liberation theology goes to a certain extent. Not that because we should work for just systems. Right. Um, but I feel like, uh, again, there's this impulse, like even in me, like to look at certain things and go like, it often stands for, uh, overthrow of certain institutions or even governments sometimes that certainly have level of corruption, but, uh, leads to a place again of just like, they're all evil. They're all bad. Let's overthrow everything. And then actually it ends up into kind of falls into chaos sort yeah. of thing. Now, that's not what Thurman does, and that's not what I'm saying Black liberation yeah. thought theology in general is. It just, mm-hmm. in my mind, right, it's just kind of thrown into all yeah, of it that. Is. Uh, it is. Which, it is. you know, and I actually think he talks about this in a roundabout way, like to be careful to not allow that to happen mm-hmm. in the midst of your, like he, he actually warns people, in my estimation here, of actually not allowing that sort of thing to happen. Um when he talks about uh, when he talks about this, basically he says in many in many analysis of hatred, it is customary to apply it only in the attitude to the strong towards the weak. The general impression is that many white people hate Negroes and that Negroes are merely the victims. Such an assumption is quite ridiculous. And then mm-hmm. he talks about yeah. the story of the girls. Yeah. And I think that what that illustrates is that if people aren't careful, whether you're the oppressed or the oppressor, here he's talking about the oppressed. If if you're not careful what you will actually do even as a potential minority or the oppressed once you get in power now you actually become the oppressor right like because that was what was in your like hate was in your heart mm-hmm. so um you don't you don't want you no longer want to be uh um equal but you want to be better yeah um and so if and if you're able to get to that point where you see yourself as morally better, now I can do the damage that was done to me to them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which he's he's like warning yeah. that attitude. And so I heard, uh, you know, this is interesting. Everybody's probably going to think I listen to Jordan Peterson all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that often. I haven't even read his book they were talking about, but I just find him very interesting. He is extremely interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I do remember him saying this because, I, I, again, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on politics or even Marxism, capitalism, any of that, just like everybody else trying to figure out what in the world's going on and what I should and shouldn't believe. But I remember him like warning people kind of against this idea of really kind of an overwhelm or I guess an overbearing socialism or even uh, um, communism where uh, the, the, the poor no longer really want uh, fairness or um, equal opportunity or anything like that. But what happens, uh, or maybe even the working class, is what can happen is that those those people or even the wealthy, the elites, by the way, who may see that a system or feel like a system is unjust, may no longer actually love the poor, but they just start to hate the rich. Mm-hmm. And so what you then do is just you just tear everything down Mm -hmm. because you just hate everyone and everything. And so just Mm -hmm. you just destroy everything, Um, whether it be in the government. Like I think that happens at a governmental level. And I think hate does that at a a relational level, too. And he Mm -hmm. talks about that. But oh, yeah. 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 I'm I'm right there with you. And I think, you know, what you're saying is, you know, Thurman, if he were here, he would be nodding his head. Um, Because what happens is like liberation, unfortunately, gets you know, it, it's fueled by people, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. you know, sometimes we forget that, you know, my, my, my feelings are going to come with me as I work for my cause, mm-hmm. you know, we can't, we can't separate our feelings from our cause, no matter how yeah. much we try, it's going to happen. Um, and what happens is a lot of times, depending on what my feelings are, and if they're not checked, if they're not dealt with, um, and if, you know, there are the little seedlings of hate, within me then yeah my desire for liberation is going to come out sound like anarchy you mm-hmm. know and, and we yeah. see that you know yeah. we've seen that and people have taken it that far um but you know to the point that you're making about how he said it's ridiculous that you know to say that you know the pros the oppressed can't hate um you know all you have to do is think about the night 
Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Like, you know, Jesus is the epitome of love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him and his little ministry going around and they have to hide here and you know, not everybody likes them. The Jews are trying to capture them, all this other stuff. So, you know, they're the ones that are being oppressed, yeah. you know, but Peter's the one to try to cut somebody's head off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, that can happen. And if it's, and, and Peter felt fully justified. Mm-hmm. We are on the side of right. You're coming after us. That means you are on the side of evil. Mm-hmm. And I love how the <laughs> the Bible does something very interesting. It mentions the name of the man whose ear was cut off. Yeah. Well, this is a person, you know, yeah. and Jesus grabs the ear mm-hmm. and puts it right back on him, you know? Yeah. And that shows like kind of what Thurman is talking about, um, you know, when he, you know, towards the end of this chapter, where he talks about the problem is, you know, we don't see the person anymore. We only see what's supposed to be hated. I think that's so good. And I actually think that's kind of how he begins this chapter to a certain extent mm-hmm, with. He mm-hmm. gives a warning. This is over 80 years ago, by the way. Yeah, I, know. I posted this on my Facebook wall just because I was like, this describes like now. Yeah. This is not like, no. this is not 80 years ago. You think 80 years ago, like people got community down, you know, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they've got front <laughs> porches, all this, there's, you know. You go through Akron even now, like you see those those communities built in the eighties. I mean, there's sidewalks, all these yeah. sorts of things. Like they're they're all working kind of at the same place to a certain mm-hmm. extent, whatever that might be. And he says this: eighty years ago, we give to the concept of a wider application. It is clear that much of modern life is so impersonal that there is always an opportunity for the seeds of hatred to hatred to grow unmolested, yep. where there are contacts devoid of genuine fellowship. Such contacts stand in immediate candidacy for hatred. In other words. What he's basically saying, like, if it's a lot easier to hate people that you don't know or see yeah. um, or aren't in contact with, mm-hmm. uh, that you depersonalize, mm-hmm. like, because they don't look, they don't feel mm-hmm. or look like people right in front of you, or for whatever reason, um, uh, you have made lower on the social ladder yeah. or whatever, right, right. Um, uh, or you feel like because they're so far above you. They're not real people either. Yeah. Um, however, you, like anytime you depersonalize anything, and I just like I just really like social media right there. Like, <laughs> like Man, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, I, 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 dude, social media, like social media is one of those things where I'm not going to say it's creating the hate, but it is definitely fanning the flames of hate. Mm-hmm. You know, and one reason I'm actually talking about this on Sunday, um, you know, when I grew up. You know, you have two choices. You know, you either back up what you're saying or you keep mm-hmm. your mouth closed. Yeah. Social media takes that away. Yeah. Like you can just say whatever and be with whatever energy, whatever you, and there's no, you don't have to back it up. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of hide behind that. So you have all of this hate. And all of this just vitriol and yeah. all of this just, just being spewed out constantly and just and shots being taken and subtle shots being taken and you're 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 you're, you're protected. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You are protected, you you are insulated from anything coming back on you. Yeah, people yeah. may comment and all this other yeah. stuff, but then what can you do? You just go dig deeper into your comments. Yeah. And you know, the reason I bring that up uh is because, yeah, man, in this in this society we have figure out ways to just, you know, allow hate to just clandestinely just be infused in so many different aspects of our lives. And we wonder why we struggle in relationships. Mm-hmm. We wonder why we struggle with forgiveness and reconciliation. Yeah. Because we got so comfortable with feeling bad about people. Yeah. Feeling ba- a bad way about you. That's like, it's like normal. Yeah. So. And it, one of the, like, Thurman, I think, is trying to get us to behave in kind of more human ways. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, he sees Jesus, right, as the human, uh, uh, as as humans should be. And I, I, when it comes to communication, uh, even if we think about the telephone, telephone's, what, maybe 120 years old? I'm not real sure. Right? Seriously, though. Like, what is it? Graham Bell, yeah. What is, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Like, so yeah. for however long humans have been in existence, mm-hmm. We have pretty much only, I don't know how long, you know, we've got the written word, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. So written word's a little bit older, but um, even that, like, 
as far as like transferring back and forth between people who are in real relationships is not very old mm-hmm. as far as human history is concerned. Right. Um, so we have been communicating primarily face-to-face, person-to-person. And as we do, part of communicating is actually looking somebody mm-hmm. in the eye and seeing them as another human being. Yep. Um, and when we, we aren't doing that on social media for the most part, right. like there, we, we just aren't right. We aren't seeing like, okay, if I say this, <laughs> how will this person react? Right. Right. Like what's, what's their actual body expression? What's the look on their face? And they also don't have to respond in real time, right. all of this. Uh, and I'm not anti-social media, like people are going to find this podcast or whatever other <laughs> podcast information through social yeah. media. And there can be helpful conversations on it, whatever. Um, but there is a dehumanizing aspect to it that allows us to say whatever we want, whenever we want. And the consequences just, they're not immediate mm-hmm. either. Um, and we don't know, uh, we, we, we aren't seeing how people are reacting to what right. we're saying. Not that sometimes if somebody reacts in a negative way to what we say, we shouldn't say it, but it, it, it takes the human part mm-hmm. of communication Oh, yeah. out to a certain extent so this is like we're having this conversation and some of these conversations can be even hard or difficult or whatever i mean we agree on, on most things um but you know when i say something or push back on something or vice versa like you can see like mm-hmm. in my eyes like how mm-hmm. am i reacting how am i thinking how do i still feel about mm-hmm. you yeah. even if like you say something that i disagree with like do i do i still do i still react in a, a, a loving way, right. like, or in a kind way or in a gentle way or in a way where, okay, like Brendan is, is still a, another person made in the image of God that I'm going to respect. Yeah. Uh, like that is happening where we are in front of one another, where it doesn't happen yeah. often online or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, which I think is, at least it seems this way. I don't know if it really is this way. It's kind of hard to tell, but maybe you see it even in your church on an individual level. Like it seems like we are growing to we're definitely more divisive. I, I feel I feel like we're more divided now in many ways as a country than we've ever been. Um and uh um like I, I feel like all of some of some of these um uh some of these ideas that Thurman are talking about are really creeping into the church in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely they're in our society and being perpetuated by them, but like fear, deception, and hate. Like, like, this has been really helpful to read this, but also kind of humbling and sometimes even depressing because you're reading this and it's like, I feel like everyone's experiencing this right Mm -hmm. now to a certain extent. Um, And we don't have the, like, we're not actually pursuing the real answers to get out. Right. And and that's, that's the, that's the power of this book. It's like, and he even talks about it, um, in the next chapter, we'll do that next week, you know, when he's just kind of, you know, when he, you know, the whole idea of love and we talk about it not as a tool, but kind of just kind of as a novel idea, you know, uh, and, and to your point yesterday, yeah, or a moment ago, yeah, you're, you're completely correct. Um, we are, human relationships are beginning to erode. Um, there's an amazing, amazing documentary on Netflix called uh, The Social Dilemma. Yeah, I haven't watched. I can't bring oh, myself to watch. I tried to get my God. wife to watch it with me. A lot of people oh, in our small group have. And um, they're just like, it's kind of one of those like, I know it's going to like make me feel bad about myself and everything else. But so. Man, it actually, yeah. it didn't uh-huh. make me feel bad. It just opens your eyes. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, it's like when you walk into a room and there's like a stench there. Mm-hmm. You don't see the stench. And you try to function. And then somebody comes in and says, oh, man, someone left a piece of bread back here and it's all moldy. Yeah. And they take it and throw it away. It's just kind of like that. It's just like, you know, there's like this, there's this uneasiness uh-huh. about how addicted we are to social media. And it just kind uh-huh. of takes the what's hidden uh-huh. and it exposes it. Yeah. And like, oh, and it doesn't make you say, OK, I'm turned off. I'm never going to use social media again. Uh-huh. But it just makes you look at it differently. Like it mm. makes you look at it completely different. Does it talk about social media using these sorts of things like fear and hate to keep you addicted to it? It 
says it shows how people can manipulate uh-huh. fear and hate. Okay. As a way to make you feel, uh, make you feel either alone or justified in how you are feeling. So basically, mm-hmm. it's about how the algorithms yeah. are moving at a rate that human evolution can't keep up with. Uh-huh. So, you know, these algorithms basically will just look at what you do and it's constantly of studying you, studying you, studying you, studying you, studying you. And the problem with it on social media, and this it, this is in line with the conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the problem with social media is it narrows the wide world down to your perspective. Yeah. So they're only going to put in your face things that you believe in. They're only going to put posts in front of you you know, things in line with yeah. your values, your beliefs, your systems, all this other stuff. So, yeah, you, if you're, like, afraid of a certain segment or uh-huh. you are opposed to a certain thing, yeah, they're going to put articles in front of you that show that you're opposed to this and we're opposed to that. Yeah. And it makes it seem like you are a part of this, you know, you are a part of the majority uh-huh. in perceiving things this way. And anyone that does not perceive things that way, they are unintentionally create uh, becoming your enemy. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty interesting like that. And mm-hmm. with another another portion of it, it talks about the danger of it for youth. That's why I love it so much because my uh-huh. kids are on social media a lot. Yeah. And it just really talks about how it is like you said, you know, we went from face to face, you know, you know, dinner time was mandatory because, mm-hmm. you know, this is our time to fellowship with the family. Yeah. You know, you go back even further back in history, you know. The thing holding court, you know, is yeah. where the men would get together and they would talk and they would, you know, make decisions. Yeah. And all the way up to today where it's just like, yeah, we got Zoom and, you know, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, which is not, it it is not a equal um, form of communication. Yeah. It's something's taken away. You know, you lift weights, uh, I lift weights. It's, you know, one time I was lifting weights and I was using a machine and I had to ask a guy who was like broken. I was yeah. trying to learn. I was yeah, asking yeah. him. I was like, are the machines same as using free weights? He uh-huh. said, oh, no. Yeah, stabilizer you know, muscles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It's completely different. And it's kind of the same thing where it's like Zoom takes away from the stuff that you were saying, which is yeah. so important. Communication mm-hmm. is like verbal communication is just one part of communication. Yeah. And a lot of times we forget that. So. Um, my uh, wife's told me once, uh, my wife, Dr. Yvonne Glass, she's this behavioral person. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I don't think I'm just, you no, know, yeah, yeah, good, go, go. But she, um, she was saying, what people don't realize is when we are on Zoom, when we're, where before, you know, like you said, I'm observing your body language mm-hmm. when we're on Zoom, you spend more time observing yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the so and before it's I'm looking at how you respond. Now it's I'm looking at how I'm responding to you. So it's like multiplied by three or four the dynamic. Like before, how's my appearance? Mm-hmm. How's my body language? Like in all these things, and we spend more time kind of looking at ourselves than actually looking at the person that we're supposed to be engaging. Which then, then again, right? Like it's almost dehumanizing that. Yeah. Per- it's not you're not intentionally trying to dehumanize that person, but you are more worried about yourself than you are <laughs> them. Yeah. Uh, and so it is a survival. It's kind of a survival technique, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you know Thurman talks about as far as hate is is concerned. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's interesting. I thought yeah. about that. I mean, it's true though. Like somebody hands you a picture. What what makes it a good picture, right? Like if it's a right. big group picture, that what makes it a good group right, picture right. is how good you look at right. it, right? Look like at yeah, <laughs> like, who cares about how, right. how other exactly. people look? Yeah, exactly. That's so yeah. very true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, and so when he says that, and he talks about that, how you know, one of the factors that contributes to hate is the lack of relationship, the lack of fellowship, the lack of interaction, and when, uh, and there's one portion when he says when quote-unquote enemies do interact in the oppressor oppressed relationship you know uh there's an understanding when it's you know when it's servant master Mm -hmm. you know we can come together and not have conflict because but 
but you're not able to be on the same level as I am. Look me in the eye, do the same things, have all those sorts of things, which, yeah. Yeah. Which which dehumanizes the relationship and also which, you know, further perpetuates the inability to have relationships. Uh You know, because it's not two men, it's manservant. It's not uh, two human beings, it's your black, I'm white. You know, it's all that stuff that becomes a problem. And what hate does is you know hate for the side of the oppressor um you know for, you know what hate does is it is the energy is the fuel that says i need to keep doing this yeah it allows you yeah it, it for thurman hate allows you no matter who you are to continue mm-hmm. immorality mm-hmm. while masquerading as morality right like he says that both for the oppressor and the oppressed yeah and so you can he said right like so if you if you want you can hate your oppressor or mm-hmm. whoever you feel like is looking down on you keeping you down whatever is you 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 want to do you can do that but what it'll eventually happen is that you again like you are going to um, become the type of person that you hate. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you just allow this to continue, mm-hmm. you're going to become the type of person that you hate and nothing ever is going to get fixed. Right. It's just right. going to be a constant cycle of, of the oppressed and the oppressor or, uh, the haves and the half nots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just a constant power struggle. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's no solution yeah. there yeah. in that. Um, and you will do all sorts of things because he, he, he talks about this at the beginning of the book. Like, we know it's wrong to hate. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, especially Christians. Um, we intuitively know it's, it's wrong to hate, but we still find ourselves doing it. Um, but, or we, we, we find ourselves in the midst of doing it. And, we, and when we do, we are able to justify why we do it. Yeah. Um, and what, what does he talk about that at? Um, I kind of wrote it down here um, a little bit, what he has to say about this. Oh, okay. He, he says it here, and my page on 72, it might be 82 or 62 yeah. to you, I keep forgetting if you're in front of or behind me. He says this, it's in the first full paragraph on page um, on 72 in my book, uh, the second sentence. He says, when hatred serves as a dimension of self-realization, the illusion of righteousness is easy to mm-hmm. create. And so other words, like when you are able to get to the point of hatred, when you're able to justify your hatred, you're actually able to justify everything you do. And under normal moral circumstances, apart from hate, you would never do that to that other person or that other group or whatever it might be. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so basically it robs you. He's saying it, hate robs you of righteousness. You think Mm -hmm. you are being righteous. You think you are being moral, but if you hate somebody, Mm -hmm. it's very unlikely that you are actually acting in a righteous or moral way towards them. Yeah. Because in your mind, you've, you've kind of stripped them probably of, of their humanity and dignity. And so you'll do all sorts of things um, that you wouldn't normally right. do under, under if all things equal. Yeah, I mean, how, yeah. Else, how else can you justify this slaughter of millions of Jews in the Holocaust? Exactly. Like, that's the only way. And or sit back and even watch. And watch it. You know, how To a certain extent. I mean, there's a it? bunch of things going on there, but one of them is hate. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. and it's just stuff, like, whenever the cringe factor is taken away, like, you're gone. Like, you are uh-huh. gone. Like, yeah. that cringe factor is taken away. And all mm-hmm. of us should have that cringe factor, especially as Christians, when we see injustice, hate, murder, destruction of lives, like that should make us cringe. And when I can live up here, sit up here and observe, participate, condone, order the slaughter of innocent children for no other reason, but their ethnic uh, heritage. Yeah. That, that's, that's, Evil <laughs> broken down. Yeah. Into yeah. hate. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's it. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I forget all the reasons why why Hitler went after the Jews. I think one of them, right, was he was teaching that they owned yeah. uh, a lot of the industry, a mm-hmm. lot of the businesses, all of those sorts of things. So it ended up being a, a class kind of hate thing. Mm-hmm. They they have stolen our our businesses. They are yeah. you know running our country. All the so you're they're the, they became a scapegoat. Right. For him, but they had to get to that place. Like we hate these people. Yeah. Like so, we are. We will allow this sort of thing to happen, and I think that happens on much smaller levels, or can happen on much smaller levels, like mm-hmm. in our societies, right? In our society, yeah. Um, especially the way our media works. Oh yeah. Because again, it's going back to social media. Media is connected to social media. Um, I've not read this book yet. I need to read it. I listened to uh, a lecture he gave Matt Tahibi. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his, he has this book called Hate Inc. And it's basically about mm-hmm. how our media works now, not just social media, but our print media, mm-hmm. our podcast, like basically how popular media works. It it works to make sure that you hate the other side. Like mm-hmm. it's it's um, it's slanted, obviously. Um, and uh, it's a, a lot of times it's just a perpetuation of kind of only one side, one angle. And we've lost all hope of trying to be objective. Like yeah. like and we see it. Yeah, uh, for the oh, most yeah. part, like we know yeah. pretty much now we're getting to the point where we know who we watch that. OK, what angle they're coming from. And if you're like me, I just wish they would admit it. Like, yeah, you know, like just yeah. I have more respect for for talking heads that or even the media that just says, yes, I'm left. I'm left leaning yeah. or I'm right leaning or whatever, instead of try to act like they're objective and they're not. And it's hard to be objective. But um, my point is, right, like if you're if you're a. A, a Republican, and you have learned to hate Democrats, um, or strongly even dislike Democrats, or whatever reason. Like when bad things start to happen to people who happen to identify as a Democrat, or mm-hmm. whatever that might be, if you lose the uh, backbone or the moral ability to say, "Well, wait a second, that's wrong. Yeah. Like they should not have to go through that. Um, that's unjust." or uh, if, if you no longer kind of stand up for what you would stand up for, like if you saw that as a, a fellow Republican mm-hmm. um, or vice versa, no matter like whichever side of the issue you're on on this, if you would no longer do that, what I think Thurman basically gets us to think about is like you, you probably hate. Mm-hmm. Like you got to the point where you were allowing things to happen to people that you wouldn't allow to happen uh, otherwise. Yeah. Um, you're hating. And I think this happens, right, with however we want to divide people, black, white, rich, poor, um, when you start to look at people and go, oh, they deserve it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, it's 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 bad. Yeah. Like, it's bad, it's unjust or whatever, and you just say they deserve it. Yeah. Uh, when, in fact, well, they may not. <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. so, another theologian, philosopher, sociologist that I am a huge fan of is by a guy by the name of Rene Girard. Rene Girard, ooh, <laughs> he's, he's changing the world. Okay. He's changing the way that disciplines are being perceived very slowly. So not too many people are aware of him, but they say in 100 years, everybody's going to know that name. Um, what J- Rene Girard did is he kind of, he, he, was a, he was a literature critic, professor. Um, kind of, I think he kind of specialized in mythology. And what this dude was, he kind of found, he fell upon something that is almost as old, he says is as old as human civilization and it is our mechanism that we use for survival called the scapegoat mechanism very simple when you kind of there's a way to simply describe it but he breaks it down to where the scapegoat mechanism impacts every single aspect of our lives so basically the scapegoat mechanism model began with uh, Cain and Abel okay hmm. Yeah. And it's all based on desire. So they were both desiring to have the approval of God. One person gets the approval of God. And uh, because one person has it and I don't have it, he says that creates what's called rivalry. And a rivalry is over that which I desire. I desire to have what you don't have. When I, you have something that I don't have that I desire, I feel as though everything is in chaos. There's disorder because you have what I don't have. Mm-hmm. And there's only one way to deal with that. Now, 
God told Cain, do what's right. Everything will be straight. He could not receive that. He saw it as, in order for everything to be straight, I got to get rid of my rival. Mm-hmm. So I put all of the problems on my rival. So I no longer see you as a human being. I see you as a rival. And he calls it the scapegoat mechanism. And he talks about that. Like he's saying that that is that you see that from the history of the world to where the scapegoat mechanism takes somebody and we put all of our problems on them. Mm-hmm. And when we take them out, we have a time of relative peace or feeling good because they're the problem. So we see this um, to apply it, you know, in history and how bloody our human history was. He yeah. talks about how, uh, you know, we, we, we have a, a situation where there's the, the crops are not growing because there's a drought. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a drought like this in a very long time. What's going on here? Well, we found out that uh, this lady over here, this young lady over here, she um, when she was supposed to do A, she did B. Huh. As a people, we know we're all supposed to do yeah. A and not B. Mm-hmm. She's she the reason yeah. that we have this. So she has to be the sacrifice to appease the gods. Uh-huh. And after that, there's this relative peace and understanding, like the problem is solved, the problem is solved. And in that moment, everybody comes together. Yeah. Everybody comes together in what's called relative peace because this problem has been placed on this individual. And, you know, he teases it out. Like he's does he get so to, many books. Does, does he get to Jesus on this? Yes. Yeah. He says Jesus actually mm-hmm. ends mm-hmm. the scapegoat mechanism. Amen. Yeah. Because Jesus was put on the cross mm-hmm. and he was innocent. Yeah. And who was who was at fault? Humanity. Yeah. So now they're not the problem. I'm the problem. Exactly. Yeah. You look at you. So yeah. you 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 got it. So yeah. he mm-hmm. he's so much more profound. Like his I will send you some stuff on him. Yeah. So profound. His lectures are so profound. So to an example. Yeah. So to make it more practical. Uh-huh. What do all sports teams want? Championship. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do we care more about? The championship or the game? <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> so here, this is interesting. I was thinking about this, but I'm like, I don't know how this applies. <laughs> and so just if I go on like a weird rabbit trail okay, here. Let's like, go. So, this is, so we're going back to college football, some of our captains and stuff before getting warmed up before games would be like, especially on the defense, you got to have hate in your heart. You got to have hate in your heart, all this stuff. And I never understood that because I actually love the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, no, like I, I don't like, and I, like I, okay. I played division three football, so I'm not like the greatest football player in the world, but I was pretty good at division three football. Like I, I led our team in tackles almost every game I played. Um, and so it wasn't like I was not an aggressive football mm-hmm, player. Mm-hmm. Like um, I was an aggressive football player, uh, but I, I never understood needing mm-hmm to hate, to be a, for me, it was not about that. Like, yes, I wanted to inflict pain. <laughs> Seriously, like I did, yeah, yeah. but it, it didn't have to be, it wasn't because I hated the person on the other side. It was because it was part of the game. Well, it used to be, now you're not allowed to tackle people like right, hard and do right, all those right. sorts of things. You'll get thrown out of a game or it's a penalty and all that fun stuff. Um, they're killing defense. But uh, like it was, I just loved the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, like our, our biggest rival in college, my best friend from high school played on, we work out together in the summers. We, mm-hmm. we were high school captains together. Um, a great person. I worked out with a lot of the players on their team during the summer because mm-hmm. we'd kind of, we'd hang out sometimes during the summer. Um, and I had my best games against that mm-hmm. team. Like mm-hmm. I didn't hate them. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, like I would have given my life for some of those guys on the other team, mm-hmm. but I just, I loved the game. Yeah. Like, and I'd love to win. Like, I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, yeah, so I don't know if I can answer the question, like, is it the championship or is it the game? Well, think I can it, tell you, I love the game. But think of it from the standpoint yeah. of, the, of, the, of the fan. Right. Like, yeah, from the fan, it's winning this championship, for sure. Okay, so... Like, like I watch Ohio State every year hoping they'll win the national championship. Like, wanting them to win yeah. the national championship more than anything. That's the ultimate goal, ultimate objective. Yeah. But what's more exciting? 
the games mm-hmm. or watching the coach hold up the championship. <laughs> For most of yeah. us, uh-huh. it becomes like a corner Gerard. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, we get so the rivalry mm-hmm. is so interwoven into who we are as a society. Sometimes uh-huh. we even forget what the objective is. We forget what the desire is. We yeah. forget. Like we have a whole season. Like we don't we don't skip the season and just watch the playoff, the Super Bowl. Yeah. If you're a real fan. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a real fan. Yeah. You know? And if you're like me, you might just watch Super Bowl. <laughs> like NFL. Like right. I just I only have so much time to watch football. Right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. But you know, and, uh-huh. and, and the point that you know that he makes is, you know, just you know, to the point because you asked about Jesus and uh-huh. how that all fits into the whole yeah. idea. I think that's important for people to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, before uh-huh. I go too far on the tangent, but yeah, Gerard, uh-huh. he 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 really breaks down how society has just created this mechanism called escape me- escape uh-huh. mechanism based on every based on our desires, and ultimately all the rivalries, all the mm-hmm. issues, all the problems, is because we desire something and we feel anybody else who wants it or has it is our rival. Yeah. And at a plot and, and, and the way that we deal with our problems is dealing with this person that we scapegoat. And what's interesting, and this is ooh, this is what's interesting, is in the ancient cultures, when they scapegoated someone for the first time and they brought peace, relative peace or calm or the problems are going, those people become deified. Mm-hmm. They became deified. So the girl is now, you know, a, a goddess or something like that. Yeah. And the act is something that needs to be repeated. And this is why you had ritual sacrifices, according to Gerard, and even anthropologists have been done. Mm-hmm. So what does that apply? I'm, the reason I bring all that up is how hateful actions have been deeply woven into society, into yeah. our culture. And Jesus, I think just getting back to Jesus, Jesus does change that. Like I, I love what Gerard Gerard right mm-hmm, is his name. Mm-hmm. I love that he gets us to that point where we see Jesus as a scapegoat. We are the ones who put him on the cross, right. and so now the responsibility is back in our lap because now the problem is is us. Yeah. Like we like if we're honest with ourselves, and really Thurman, I mean he doesn't say it that way, um, but that is what Thurman gets to, and so much of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, is that. You, you, these things are problems with inside of you mm-hmm. that you better, you better check. Yes. Like, and Jesus wants you to check yes. uh, and get a hold of because yes, they, they'll actually destroy you as a, like you will destroy you as a person mm-hmm. yeah. if you hold on to hate. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts of this chapter. Um, uh, that's my 87. Um, where he's talking about the president, his conversation with the president of the university, and um, no, 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 not the president. Someone came to talk. He was working at the president, working with the president of the university at the school he was at, and he was a, uh, you know, the errand boy. And someone came in to meet the president. He wasn't there, so this white gentleman starts having a conversation with Thurman, and uh, he said, "I am rearing my boys so that they will not hate Negroes." Do not misunderstand me. I do not love them. But I am wise enough to know that if I teach my boys to hate Negroes, they will end up hating white people as well. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, whoa, how many of examples of that do we see? Yeah. You know, um, just talking about how, you know, you know, just kind of talk about how uh, hatred cannot be controlled once it's set in motion. Yeah, you you think about like this is probably not always a great thing to say, but like, yeah, that person's a hateful person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they just seem mad at everything and mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is another great thing about Thurman is he just he sees us as a as a spiritual person as a soul. Like we are yeah. becoming somebody yes. uh, at all times. Yes. And a person who hates is actually becoming a hateful person. Yes. Not just towards their enemies, even mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. or whoever they are hating in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's they're they're now becoming the type of person who hates. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Because it was like know. so. If I start off hating black folk, 
it then turns into I hate white folk who like black folk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And then it can just keep going on and yeah. on and on. And then it's just like I hate anything that resembles white folk that like black folk. Yeah. So I just hate everything and yeah. everybody. And it's 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 wise and you know and one thing that i like wonder i like books like this and I like people like howard because it kind of says look here's a problem abort like abort how things are going like you mm-hmm. said we're being formulated we're becoming something abort we are becoming this thing abort and let's let's correct ourselves and that's what yeah. jesus did you yeah know, that was his ministry let's correct ourselves uh, and, and start living according to the principles i'm teaching in the spirit that i'm offering um, so we could become what God intended to begin with. So. Exactly, exactly. He says this, this is a quote from Thurman. He says, hatred destroys finally the core of life of the, 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 of the hater. So yeah, it's it's one of those things that, that's a, that's right, yeah, that's before that story you just told. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, let's talk about Jesus here, how he talks about Jesus. Um, because he does, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about Jesus as a scapegoat in mm-hmm. that way, right? He doesn't, and you know, it's interesting this is again what's interesting for me as I read Thurman. The way that sometimes I have preached this or taught this is different often than the way Thurman gets to it. So you know, like I've, I have preached it from a certain extent from like the scapegoat or maybe mm-hmm. substitute substitu- substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. uh, angle. So like, well, how can we hate? Like how 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 can we hate uh, people when we have been forgiven like when we were enemies of god but now we are made friends of god through the sacrifice of christ on the cross so you have like there's that um cosmic reality that is been given to us as christians although we have infinitely sinned against our creator Mm -hmm. uh he has infinitely forgiven Mm -hmm. to make us friends through christ um so if that's a cosmic reality like if we really understand that Therefore, like, we can't hate, you know, we can't carry it with us. Uh, This is why he can say, you know, love your enemies, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. forgive those who have all of those sorts of things um, that that Jesus says. Now, Thurman doesn't use that. Mm -mm. Um, He's still thoroughly biblical and gets to Jesus. He just doesn't come at it from that angle. But he does say Jesus uh, rejected hatred. Um, and he saw, and Jesus rejected hatred because he saw that hatred meant death to the mind, death to the spirit, death to the communion with the Father. Yeah. He affirmed life, and hatred was the great denial. To him, it was clear. Yeah. So you talk about a little bit more about that, though, um, how he sees Jesus approaching this. Yeah. Yeah. So for, <laughs> this is one of the areas where, I my own personal theology has been challenged in that, like we talked about last week, Christians, the ministry of Jesus Christ for the majority of us is high. You know, it's all about the highlight of what he did on the cross and after. Mm-hmm. You know, not so much what he did before the cross. Everything was just to lead up to the cross. You know, everything, you know, yeah, it was nice that he taught this. It was nice that he said these words. Oh, yeah, those miracles are cute. But at the end of the day, it's all about him resurrecting. And the reason it really hit me and it impacted me is because being African-American, that was the theological, that was weaponized theologically to oppress. Hmm. You know, just it's all about the great by and by. You know, it's not, you don't yeah. worry about this life. Don't mm-hmm. worry about you. You know, you were unfortunately born into a fallen war world. And because in the fallen world, you have brown skin and brown skin are inferior. But that's okay. Jesus Christ came so you can have eternal life. So it's all about the eternal life. And that uh, that is un- quite unfortunate. And that's going back to the liberation uh, theology. They challenge that. They challenge and say, wait a minute. The life and the teachings of Jesus are significant. One thing that we have to remember. See, I, w- I would say like in our tradition too, we're a holiness tradition church. Mm-hmm. And so um, we haven't always, I would say our tradition hasn't always gotten that right. But we emphasize like in the Wesleyan holiness uh, tradition church, like 
traditionally right mm -hmm. it had yeah. that has been emphasized yeah like yeah. holiness right so yeah. actually doing what christ said and being who christ was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was was emphasized heavily in movements like ours but yeah go ahead yeah i mean in mm -hmm. in most not i'm not gonna say most mm -hmm. many you mm -hmm. know denominations uh hold to that to that christian ethic i mean all of you know yours puritans you know, it's you know let's, let's this particular christian ethic is so very important but what challenged me was going back to what jesus was trying to restore and jesus is trying to restore life as it was originally intended yeah and life as it was originally intended is fueled by the currency of love mm -hmm. that currency of love is what was supposed to dominate all human interaction you know and Jesus comes in and he's reintroducing the idea that love is to dominate all human interaction. Someone does bad to you, do love to them. Mm -hmm. Someone has a problem with you, go and reconcile with them, you know, because that was the ideal. That's the goal. So it doesn't surprise me that Howard Thurman doesn't really look at it from the, you know, uh, you know, because he loved us. We love because he loved us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not my expectation for Thurman. It's yeah. just, it's it's good that Thurman comes at it from a different angle yeah. just to remind us. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. for him, you know, you know, and just knowing a little bit about his theology, I think for him it is that, that, that we are made in the image of God. We are made and blessed with some of his divine attributes so we can share them with each other and it's like if we could really get a hold of that and understand that then yeah not only are is our relationship with god restored but the world is a better place our mm -hmm. lives are better yeah you know our lives are completely better if we are so just transformed into lovers of souls mm -hmm. and i don't really care you're white i don't care you're yeah. rich i don't care you're poor you are made in god's image and i see you you know and you know i think ultimately that was that was thurman's purpose yeah you know, in writing this chapter on love hatred is a continuation of the break of our relationship with god and others um, and he sees Jesus solving that and showing us how a continuation of that break or allowing yourself to continue to be, to hate and perpetuate what separates us yeah. as human beings is dangerous. It's extremely and, dangerous. You know, for everyone. And yeah. uh, he and shows us, a, Jesus shows us a better way. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it, it's crazy how if you really get deep with it it's unhuman mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you really think it's unhuman hatred anything that god tells us not to do is unhuman yeah. you know but because of the world that we live in it's fallen you know we begin to accept the problem and all the problems offsprings as normal natural and of course satan's loving it you know maybe mm -hmm. because he can carry out his will through hatred he can't carry it out through love yeah um and that's just where we have to challenge ourselves. And, you know, me personally, when I'm feeling a certain way about a person, okay, what, what how does God feel about me feeling this way about a person? Mm -hmm. When forgiveness is something I'm struggling with, okay, what is God feeling about me struggling to be walking forgiveness right now? You know, regardless of how bad I was hurt or how justified I might be in my feelings. Because we live in the times, and we could talk a whole hour on this, Josh. We live in the times where people are dominated by feelings. Theology yeah. is dominated by feelings. My actions yeah. are dominated by feelings. It's all about feelings. It's like people have, you know, when when we live in a world that is, you know, not, you know, it's just growing more atheistic, you know. Mm -hmm. So if God isn't at the top of the <laughs> if the hierarchy who is yeah we'll say humanity okay well what drives humanity you know what we pleasure and pain <laughs> we avoid the pain we want the pleasure so now it comes down to my feelings you know, yeah you're just dominated by feelings and 
you know, it, it's unfortunate. Um, if I say all that to say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll stop there. I love that. Just if we, if we stop with your right every time, we'll be good. <laughs> of course. I appreciate you being here. Again. You, love next week, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's fun. That's going to be fun.